Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Hark the herald angels sing in glory to the newborn king. Merry Christmas, everyone, and it is a joy for me, Michael Parks, to once again celebrate Christmas with you on this just most joyous holiday season. And through, however you're listening, through the speakers of your favorite radio station or through your streaming device, we hope that you all are blessed. And maybe for the next half hour or so, we will add to your blessings and your celebration with some wonderful information and inspiration. And it's a pleasure to once again uh, be with the Most Reverend Ronald W. Gaynor, the Bishop of the Diocese of Harrisburg. Bishop Gator, always a pleasure to be with you. Michael, very happy for the opportunity to be with you, and Merry Christmas to you and to all of our listeners. And uh, it is it is uh, somewhat funny because the Bishop and I uh, only get to see each other and, and do these shows during Easter and Christmas, and there's an old joke about the E&C Catholics, uh, but you know, any time that we get to sit down and, and celebrate a joyous holiday like uh, Easter and Christmas, and that is a, is a pleasure. You know, uh, it, it's a chilly, bitter cold Christmas holiday here in, in central Pennsylvania. But Bishop, just the, the, the feelings that, that you are feeling when it comes to Christmas, what is it like every year that, that you feel inside? Well, first of all, we, you know, we have the season of Advent four weeks beforehand to prepare. So we have that opportunity not just to get our homes ready and buy the gifts that we need uh, for the Christmas giving, but at the same time to prepare our, our hearts uh, our souls, our minds, to celebrate the birth of our Savior. So my feelings are are, are those of of uh, hope and expectation. You know, uh, we always I think a big part of life is waiting for things to happen and also expecting good things to happen. Mm-hmm. And certainly we're we're expecting when we celebrate the birth of our Savior the, the the most important thing, the greatest thing that happened in human history, the the birth of the Son of God come in our flesh. So uh, my feelings are are those of great joy and hope. Yes, and indeed, as much as uh, a lot of us say in the song, say about the Christmas is in the joy of the eyes of the ch- eyes and hearts of the children. But uh, even us adults, uh, we can't not help but feel just wonderful and joyous during this time of the year. Well, we'll be talking with you um, about some recent events uh, and and uh, and happenings. Um, haven't spoken with you for a long time. So when we recorded in the spring, so how have things been going here in the diocese? Well, thanks for asking, Michael. And it does seem like a long time was Easter, I guess, when we last had this conversation. But uh, I think all of our our listeners, you and I would all agree that uh, 2022 uh, had its ups, it had its downs. It's true of every every, uh, calendar year. But I can honestly say uh, that this was a year uh, that our diocese turned a corner or maybe several corners. Uh, We had a lot of positives here in our local church in the Diocese of Harrisburg uh, during 2022. Uh, Just like 
many organizations uh, during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, a lot of our ministry programs were affected. They were postponed, put on hold, or, or we transitioned uh, many of our activities as best as we could to online platforms, uh, especially early uh, in the pandemic. Uh, this year was really the first time since uh, the uh, height of the pandemic that I think we've returned to more normal ways of uh, presenting our ministries, our programs, our, our uh, activities here in the diocese, while still offering uh, uh, many of them on uh, online options uh, for the faithful, or for anyone in, in, for that matter. A few weeks ago, I was asked um, by someone, uh, how would I describe the sentiment in the diocese? And the, the first thing that came to my mind was hopeful, mm -hmm. that there is a lot of hope in our diocese. And I think our ministries and the participation of our faithful uh, reflect that hope that we all have. Uh, just to give a couple of examples, if I may, uh, we're renewing our focus on our ministries and evangelization efforts through restructuring of, of that part of our diocesan offices that, that uh, focus on uh, evangelization efforts here in, in our local church. Uh, and that has allowed us to bring on board new staff uh, in concerns such as marriage and family, uh, youth and young adults, uh, the dignity of the human person and the pro-life efforts that are so important at this time uh, in, in our lives. Uh, th this office of the Catholic Life and Evangelization has and, and will continue to provide leadership, resources, and guidances, guidance uh, for our youth, uh, our young adults, life and dignity, the laity and the family, and, and, and outreach to outreach ministries, especially into the different cultures uh, uh, that we have uh, in, in uh, the, the, the 15 counties of, of our diocese. So by restructuring this office, we're committed to an increased faith formation and evangelization ministries for, for years to come. So that's a great development that took place uh, this past year. We also changed our safe environment program uh, so that our uh, children and uh, young people and vulnerable people are are safe in our programs and in all of our places. For years, we've used an internal program, uh, which followed all the requirements of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People. But as we strive to continue updating this highly important uh, aspect of our diocesan church, we made the decision to contract with an outside organization called Virtus. It's a Latin name for virtue. Uh, and this company's sole focus is uh, youth protection. And uh, they, they work with dioceses throughout the United States. So we're now using their Empowering God's Children program in all of our Catholic schools and our religious education programs to teach our children and our youth about healthy boundaries, personal safety, preventing and disclosing inappropriate relationships, and what to do if your personal boundaries are violated. So we think contracting with Virtus and bringing this program to our children will make our youth protection efforts that much stronger here in the diocese. And I would also want to mention uh, briefly uh, this whole notion of the synod that Pope Francis has uh, uh, introduced for the whole universal church. Um, this has been a hallmark of his papacy, 
uh, that we need to be a listening church, that the Holy Spirit is at work in all the faithful, not just the hierarchy, not just the clergy or the religious, but all of the people of, of God. And so 56 of our parishes and 26 of our Catholic schools participated in the synod process this past year. Uh, there are many good observations that came from the people who participated. Um, and just to name a few that we'll be exploring in 2023, uh, to have intentional conversations and, and listening without a bias, without coming to the conclusions and then trying to make the conversation lead to those conclusions, but rather listening to what uh, is in the minds and the hearts of uh, our faithful throughout the diocese, bringing a more welcoming and inviting uh, church. Um, especially to those who seem to be on the margins of society and on the margins of the church, uh, having more unity among our people across generations, uh, at the same time recognizing the need to meet people where they are, uh, helping them to respond more faithfully, more zealously to the gospel, and uh, lovingly challenging people to live more fully the truths that we believe as Catholics. These are just a few of the initiatives that we'll be working on next year because of that synodal process that we engaged in in 2022. And you also do a lot of work ever since I've known you working with the youth in our Catholic schools. Uh, And then that continues. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we have great, great success this year with our schools. Uh, I, uh, I love to visit our schools. It, 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 I love the spontaneity, especially in the, the younger grades uh, in our uh, 35 Catholic schools. The, the children, uh, you never know what to expect, what question they might pose. So it's, <laughs> it's always fun to visit the classrooms. And I, I try too to visit each year all of our, uh, our uh, six high schools. In, in the diocese. So this year, um, we recently announced that our Catholic schools grew again uh, for a second year in a row. Last year, a little over 6%, and this year, uh, of, of 1%. And that's, that's a, a reverse of a national trend, and certainly a trend that was present here in the diocese, where um, we saw attrition in the uh, enrollment in our Catholic schools. And it's great to see this growth now in enrollment uh, these past two years. Um, so, uh, we also just announced, uh, just a few weeks ago that in just six months through the generosity of donors and a partnership with a group that's called Redefined Advisors, uh, we've raised more than $1.2 million in tuition scholarships in just six months. Um, and we've raised that for the, to help the families of our Catholic school students, our increasing enrollment and the financial donations, our schools, are seeking is really a result of the excellence uh, of our teachers, uh, the tireless efforts of our principals, our school presidents, the pastors of our parishes, and and all the school leaders who offer an exceptional school experience where our students truly thrive. And I I can't thank these uh, individuals who are leaders in our Catholic schools enough for, for all that they're doing for our schools. So, Michael, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what some of the things we've accomplished in uh, 2022, and I actually encourage our listeners to spend a few minutes reviewing our annual impact report. It's posted on our diocesan website, and it details all the accomplishments of the diocese during this past year. And that website is hbgdiocese.org. And you can find out more of what of the things that we talked about. And again, we talk about the size of this diocese, Bishop. Yeah. How many counties? 
15. 15 counties. Mm -hmm. And you imagine how much an area that spans. And uh, over the years that I've known you, too, is that uh, you've tried to travel uh, to uh, a a lot of those and, and speak to the people because... You know, in this age of technology where we're sitting around, we can Zoom, we can use Teams and talk to them. But talk about the importance of being out and about uh, oh, in the diocese. Yeah, I, I often say that the only ability that as a bishop that I need is availability. So and I try to be accessible uh, throughout the diocese. And I, I have been now to every parish and mission. Uh, uh, that's 98 uh, of those throughout throughout the diocese. So I... Um, I enjoy that when children will ask me, what's your favorite thing to do as a bishop? In fact, one little boy one time said, what's the funnest thing you do as a bishop? (laughs) And I said, it's what I'm doing right now when I'm away from the office and I'm out here somewhere in one of our schools or our parishes or one of the institutions uh, and with the people so that I can get to know them better and they can get to uh, have a firsthand experience of me and get to know me a little better. So that's a great, that's a great aspect of the, the, the uh, bishop's ministry. And uh, I, I enjoy that more than anything. And it must make you feel good, too, to talk to, uh, along with the kids, with some of the older people. Is it is when you're when you're out and about either you're doing mass or, or meeting with some of the people, is, is the faith still strong? Oh, I believe so. Yes. And, and it, it is certainly a concern that many uh, have drifted away pre-COVID. Uh, you know, uh, there, there are those who have grown inactive, and that's a great concern, and it needs to be a, a, a very intentional part of our mission to reach out and invite back. And then certainly COVID uh, has affected that, so that we have people who were regularly coming to church who, who still perhaps just don't feel comfortable uh, yet uh, getting back into a crowd. And so they're, they may be watching the live stream masses that we have, things like that. But uh, we certainly hope we can, in the very near future, certainly some sometime well just in, into 2023, be able to invite those faithful back. But I, I am always impressed by the strength of the faith of our of our Catholic people here in in the diocese of Harrisburg. Well, I confessed uh, uh, many years or a few years ago that where I was like drifting away and uh, and through the grace of God and through prayers and realizing uh, what I was missing and uh, going back to church and uh, you know we talked about the importance of of being at the service, sitting in those pews, looking up at the stained glass, hearing the choirs, hearing the message that's being spread. There's nothing that lifts your faith or puts you back into the faith than being at a service. Talk about the importance of, of just the, the importance of, of, of attending church. Absolutely. But, you know, we can say, well, I can certainly pray by myself and I can thank God. And, uh, but at the same time, we're, we're made for community. Uh, we're relational beings. We're, we're made in the image and likeness of God, and our God is a trinity of persons. Our God isn't a solitary deity, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an eternal community of love uh, between the three persons of our one God. And we're made in that image, so we need to be in relationship with others, and so Christ has given us the church. And uh, it's, it, we do need to pray individually, but at the same time, we need to pray communally. And there's nothing that can take the place, certainly for a Catholic, than celebrating the Eucharist, being there to hear the living word of God, and then participating in the banquet of the body and blood of our Savior in, in his real presence in the Eucharist. So it touches us at a place where we need God's presence, and we need to let God's grace, his life, invade uh, our very souls. And that, that happens uh, when, when the faithful, when we all gather together to celebrate the, the Mass, the Eucharist. 
as you mentioned, there have been some challenges over the past uh, couple of years and some other news I recently saw about the diocese is that the bankruptcy process seems to be coming to a close. Can you share any information on that? Absolutely. I'd, I'd be happy to. And it, it's an important question. Uh, we entered this process in February of 2020, expecting to be 12 to 14 months uh, engaged in that. And as it turns out, it's, it's going to be about 36 months, so quite longer than we first anticipated. Um, but uh, I can happily say that we've been engaged. We, we've in the we've been in the reorganization process. Um, for almost three years. And uh, in mid-November, this past November, we filed our plan of of reorganization with the federal bankruptcy court. So through that plan, if it's confirmed, and we're we're firmly trusting that it will be, uh, a a trust will be developed to provide financial restitution to the survivors of clergy uh, sexual abuse. And the next major step in the process is to uh, seek credit or approval of the plan. Uh, Pending all goes well, uh, we should have a conclusion to this process very early uh, in the new year. Michael, I also want to add that uh, we recognize there is no amount of money. I was just asked this, too, by a reporter in a recent interview. Uh, Does this satisfy those people who have been uh, abused uh, in but in the, uh, the the clergy clergy sexual abuse process, no amount of money uh, is ever going to erase uh, the harm done and what uh, survivors have suffered. And I, I always emphasize that. And it's not our intent to think that uh, some compensation uh, can erase that. But we do want to walk with these survivors through the healing process, which is much more extensive than financial compensation. And in addition to financial restitution, the diocese continues to offer mental and spiritual assistance to survivors because we want them and we want to accompany them in finding healing and peace. Thank you for these updates of Bishop Bishop Gaynor the bishop for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Again, learn more about many of the things we talked about today on the website, which is hbgdiocese.org. You know, earlier in our conversation, uh, Bishop Gaynor, we spoke about the the hopeful environment and a renewal of sorts uh, with evangelization efforts. Um, speaking of that renewal, I've heard about this, what is referred to a national Eucharistic revival. So what's going on with that? Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking about that because it is a major initiative of our whole uh, church here in the United States. The uh, Diocese of Harrisburg is participating in what is really a three-year uh, initiative called the National Eucharistic Revival, and um, we've noticed in the very thing we were just talking about: those who have drifted away from uh, participating in Mass, and those who uh, even come and are not quite sure of what. The church teaches what what the the truth about the mystery of uh, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus, really is. And so this is a time when we hope to not just inform, but also to inspire, to to revive a love for Christ in the Eucharist. And uh, so there's a three-year program. The first is the diocese preparing and helping our parishes uh, to uh, have the next year 
uh, which will begin on the Feast of Corpus Christi next June. Uh, and the parishes then will have their own programs and outreach and opportunity to bring the faithful to understand better and, and embrace more fully the mystery of the Eucharist. And then finally, the third year will be a national celebration that will be held in, in uh, July in Indianapolis, where we will have, for the first time in many decades, a national Eucharistic uh, Congress. So um, we, we want our faithful to come to, to understand better and to live more fully the, the mystery of the Eucharist as the body and blood, the soul and divinity, as we say, of, uh, of Jesus uh, here in our church. Um, several years ago, there was, as I think was highly publicized, a Pew Research study, which found an alarming number of Catholics did not believe uh, the fundamental teaching of the church. And the revival is a multi-year initiative beginning at the diocesan level, then parishes, and then evangelization into the community aimed at rebuilding our faith in our Eucharistic Lord. So our, our whole U.S. church, not just the, the diocese, uh, has seen so much scandal, division, even doubt over the centuries, and especially in recent times. So the revival is an effort to remind Catholics um, that Christ is present, uh, that he comes to heal us, to be with us, to abide with us, to renew us, and to unify us, and, and that he's more important than the many different struggles and storms that we face every day in life. That's that's really the purpose of, of this initiative. So in our diocese, we already have a special committee working on our local initiatives for the Eucharistic Revival, and we'll be rolling out these plans uh, in 2023. And again, uh, stay tuned. The best way to keep uh, informed and keep track of what is going on in the diocese, and as the bishop mentioned, uh, moving forward, uh, but also, you know, helping to lead and also guide you and us in our faith. Um, learn more and keep in touch by going to the website at hbgdiocese.org. Changing topics slightly, uh, the last time we were in the recording studio was uh, back in the spring, and since that time, I've heard from a little bird <laughs> <laughs> that you have reached that special age of 75. My gosh, Bishop, you look, honestly, you know, you look very, very well, very, very healthy, so you are truly blessed. But why is this uh, 75 age significant as a bishop? Well, thank you for that compliment, uh, Michael. I appreciate that. And I don't know why loads of little birds can't keep a secret. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, in August, I turned that magic age. And, and for a bishop, it is the magic age because our canon law, the, the, the ecclesial law, of the Catholic Church requires that when uh, your 75th birthday is approaching that you inform the Pope and that you submit your resignation. But then that begins a process by which the Holy Father will eventually announce the next bishop would be the 12th bishop of the Diocese of Harrisburg. And uh, there's really no uh, timeline set for that. Uh, some bishops uh, have their retirement uh, announced uh, five months or so after their birthday. Others are still bishop three years after their birthday. So it's it's a process that is uh, conducted by the Pope's representative in the United States. He's called the Apostolic Nuncio. It, it, right now it is uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, a, a Frenchman. Uh, in the diplomatic service of the Catholic Church in Washington, D.C. He serves as the ambassador for the Vatican City State to 
our U.S. government, and he represents the Holy Father here in the U.S. to uh, the, the Catholic Church. So he's the one that sort of oversees, uh, supervises the process of selecting uh, the next bishop. But in the end, after uh, candidates are vetted and the needs of the diocese, also people will be receiving questionnaires uh, asking what are the strengths of the diocese at its present time, what, what are some of the areas where it needs development. And, and the office in Rome that assists the Pope, uh, called the Dicastery for the Clergy, uh, or the dicastery for bishops, rather. I'm sorry, it's the dicastery for bishops. Um, will will ultimately give Pope Francis three dossiers, three files, and he'll have a chance to pour over those, and then he'll just pick one because only the Pope can appoint a bishop or change a, a, a bishop to another uh, diocese. And uh, when he does that. Uh, someone will get a phone call and say, you're the next bishop of Harrisburg. <laughs> and once he says, okay, then I'll get a phone call saying Father X or Bishop X is coming to be the next bishop of Harrisburg. And that, that'll start our immediate preparations then for his uh, installation, or if he's not already a bishop, ordination and installation. But that's the process and, and how long it will take uh, at this point, no, it's no, known only to God. Yeah, and then like uh, you, you do when I spoke, uh, you just wake up every single morning, continue doing what you're doing. Indeed, un- yeah. until un- Until the call comes. Yes, I said some people come up to me, I'm out in the parish, and they say, well, how is it now that you're retired? And I said, gee, wait a minute, <laughs> not yet. that's not true. I'm still yeah. the job. I am still, yeah, yeah still fully still. the bishop, and uh, but at some point, I will be, yeah. What have you thought down the road of plans of what you want to do? Oh, I'll, I'll certainly, surely, and, and I'll, I'll certainly stay here immediate in the immediate Harrisburg area, and um, I'll be available to the the, the new bishop. Uh, I, I presume we have so many uh, parishes, as I've mentioned, and uh, almost every parish celebrates confirmation each year, and that's a sacrament that's reserved to the ministry of the bishop. And so I, I would hope that the, the new bishop would uh, expect me, invite me to uh, go around and and help with those confirmations. Sometimes there are two on the same day, and it's impossible for the bishop to do them all. And, and so I'd be able to help with that and also help parishes as needed with special events. And uh, so I'd be continuing completely my, my sacramental and pastoral ministry without the administrative responsibilities that a, a diocesan bishop has. Is it safe to say that your days are constantly full? I mean, do you have some days that are like uh, I wake up in the morning, look at my calendar and say, oh, I got nothing to do today. Uh, That's kind of rare, but it (laughs) it does happen. Thank God. uh, Yeah. And I do try, of course, to take a day off. We work weekends and we always joke about that. All all (laughs) clergy work weekends. So I I do, too. But uh, I try to take Fridays as a a day off. And and most often that works. What do you like to do in your time Uh, off? Well, actually, on my day off, I'm probably preparing for other. I'm preparing I'm preparing Uh, homilies. I'm preparing talks that I have to give or reading in you know in remote preparation for things. So, but that's relaxing. I, I don't mind that. Uh, it's it's a, the day off. At least doesn't have meetings. I don't have to be watching the clock and see what's next and where do I have to be and who's coming in the door next. Well, that's what he always said, and, and I was also blessed to have retired in May. But uh, I still do a, a, a lot of radio work like this one. It just keeps my mind sharp. And uh, I've always been told, you know, people like me and you, we've always got to keep on moving and doing the things. And honestly, you know, like you said, it's it's the things that we love to do. 
there are certain things with comes with work and responsibilities that are sometimes a challenge, may not be as much fun. But uh, like you mentioned, being able to write, being out to be with the people, uh, see the kids and, uh, you know, do what I do. I love to write and, and to speak and, and just make people laugh. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the secrets about retirement. If we would share with it, I'm sure a lot of people have said as well. And uh, the other thing was never underestimate the power of an afternoon nap. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but it's true. No one becomes a priest. Well, I shouldn't say that, but it, it, I certainly didn't become a priest to, to uh, have meetings about finances and, and bankruptcy and uh, many other the administrative or the, the, the. But basically, the bishop part of the bishop's ministry is being a CEO of a very large. We have almost 2,800 people on our payroll, for instance, uh, and so. That wasn't what attracted me to be ordained, and I think in retirement, I'll be able to focus more directly uh, on those things that really did attract me to the priesthood, you know, that's the ministry and the, the pastoral presence uh, uh, among the people of God, and I can kind of hand over uh, happily uh, the administrative responsibilities. Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, and... <laughs> It's funny as Catholics and any of us always think about our our obligations of mass. Uh, you know, back when you and I were growing up, uh, there was a, a midnight mass, and then there were masses on uh, Christmas Day. But my gosh, it was like there are uh, Christmas Eve sunset, uh, post Christmas Eve, and there are so many things. And a lot of people uh, are wondering: Does going to mass on Christmas Eve count for the Christmas mass <laughs> obligation and the Sunday obligation. It does. It's you might say two birds with one stone. Oh, okay. I guess, yeah, because it's it would just be the same as on a Saturday uh, anticipated mass Saturday beginning at four o'clock. Uh, so our cathedral, we have our first uh, Christmas Eve, our Christmas mass is at four, and then we we have a true midnight mass. I know many churches don't anymore, but at the Cathedral of St. Patrick in downtown Harrisburg, we have a, a the midnight mass is at midnight. Um, and uh, we certainly invite any of our listeners to come and join us. It's beautiful, wonderful music, and very inspiring. Um, but yes, it, it, it mass, going to Mass at Christmas Eve uh, certainly uh, will fulfill the, the Mass obligation because they, they really become one. The Sunday obligation this year coincides with the, the, the Holy Day of Obligation Christmas uh, Masses. Christmas is more than just one day. You know, we always talk about when I do so many with the charitable organizations in the region and they say, yes, it's nice to donate during the Christmas holidays, but, uh, you know, the homeless and the hungry uh, go hungry for the rest of the year. And it comes down to our faith as well. Um, Do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how they can continue to observe this special season and keep that good feeling and increase our faith uh, throughout the year? I think we, you know, we need visual reminders. So I, I encourage. I, it's always disheartening. I would drive around the day after Christmas and see the, the tree out on the curbside there. Uh, I, I, I uh, we, it is a season uh, for us. It goes until the liturgically to the celebration of the baptism of the Lord. And uh, uh, so I would hope that our, our the people would leave the the visual reminders of the Christmas season up in their homes. 
and that I think will be a, a good first step. And as, as you mentioned, it's, it, the continue giving, the, the exchange of presents will take place, place uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but there might be other opportunities for uh, to uh, give, even if not money or material things, but to give of our time, maybe mm. look for opportunities of volunteering, because Christmas is celebrating the greatest gift we could have possibly ever received from God, and that is the gift of his own son. And it's it's an imitation of God's giving to us that we give to one another in the forms of Christmas giving. Uh, and I, I think maybe one way of continuing it certainly is is to spend some time just looking at the nativity scene, if you have one in your home or one of the Christmas cards you might have received, but just meditate on, on, on and take some quiet time looking at that beautiful scene uh, and what it means for us that God could possibly love us so much that he would allow his son to come to us in our flesh. And then secondly, in response to God's giving, to look for opportunities where we can give to others to uh, help uh, support them, to uh, assist them, and um, maybe help them in in some need that they might have, neighbors, older people, whatever, just giving of our time as well as of our material uh, goods. As we uh, wrap up, and we always love to do this uh, at the close of our celebration, be it Easter or Christmas, Bishop, what is your Christmas wish or prayer for our listeners? Well, as we mentioned earlier in our program here, so many things have been coming at us, Michael, uh, in 2022 that could cause us to be anxious, uh, to to worry, to many concerns, and everything from, the again, still the virus and illness to the economy, maybe people stewing over the direction of our nation as they consider how things are going. And, and we're celebrating the birthday of the Prince of Peace. And I think that this calm, this this peace that we talk about at, at Christmas is not just about a calm atmosphere surrounding us, because we'll always have uh, some kind of adversity. There'll, there'll always be um, things pulling us and distracting us and concerning us. But the birth of the Prince of Peace, I, I think, is about an interior calm. It, it's, it's about an inward peace that God wants us to have, and it's born of trusting God trusting the will of God. We have the example of the Blessed Mother and the, the, the Annunciation in, in Luke's Gospel, where she simply heard the word and she had to say yes. And I, I trust whatever this might mean for me, I trust um, in God's will. And if if we imitate that, that trust, I think we'll know that interior peace so that we could be storms all around us. And at the same time, there's, there is a calm knowing that God is in charge and that the kingdom of God reigns over my heart and my soul. And that doesn't take away the outside storms, but I think it helps us to navigate them in, in a way that, that God asks us to. And, and so I would invite our, our uh, listeners to allow uh, the peace of Christ to, to abide in their hearts um, so that through them it can be communicated to others around them. Amen. You know, Bishop, one of my favorite parts of this annual program is, is sitting with you, and, and we, we share our favorite childhood traditions or a memory. Because as we talk about uh, Christmas and the holiday season, it's time uh, you know, to remember those times when we did, and they come soaring and flashing back into our minds. Um, even when you know this, this time comes, do you remember some of those great childhood memories and traditions? Oh, absolutely, yes. And uh, I, I, I always felt that I had a, a special gift in that we had two Christmases 
Um, we would celebrate the 25th, of course, uh, uh, with my uh, parents and my German grandparents. But then on the January 7th was what we still call Russian Christmas. Right. And uh, my, my grandparents came from a very eastern part of Slovakia, my mom's parents, um, where the Russian Orthodox Church was dominant. And uh, so they were Russian Orthodox. My mom was uh, raised in the Russian Orthodox Church, and they celebrated Christmas on January 7th. So we would go to my grandparents' house, my mom's parents, on January the 6th, and my most cherished memories was that special meal that we would have. And my grandparents would, uh, uh, I I guess in um, a commemoration of the stable of Bethlehem, would bring straw into the the area where we had the meal. Some of it was under the tablecloth, some of it was on the floor, and then we had the the 12 symbolic uh, foods that night. Um, and uh, I remember my, my grandfather, looking, if it was a clear night, looking for the first star, uh, and then uh, begin, uh, he would uh, have a long prayer. Uh, I had no idea what he was saying. It was in Slovak, but, but it was very devout. And then, and then we sat down and had this wonderful meal. And then afterwards, we would receive gifts and uh, play some games and things. All, all of my cousins uh, were there, and it was a big family gathering. So it, it was that special uh, vigil meal, the holy vigil on the holy night, that uh, I think is, is, is certainly one of my most cherished Christmas memories of growing up. And, you know, it seems like you were, you and I are brothers from a different mother because I so remember that pretty much same thing because uh, uh, my mother's side was Polish, my dad's side was Russian, and, uh, you know, we had mixed a lot of the traditions together, especially with that Christmas Eve meal. And then we'd even have like actually the, the, the wafer mm-hmm. that we the would plotky. break. Yeah. yeah, the plot. The plot is one. Yeah, the right. plot. Yeah. That we would do that and, and do this. And then the other thing I tell you about, because uh, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure that Christmas Eve was a day of fast. In other words, mm-hmm. not meat. So. And at that time of the night, when we're eating all the uh, the different fishes and, and the things like that, um, my mom was baking this huge ham. <laughs> so we get down, down with dinner, and anybody who knows the smell, be it a turkey, bacon, or a ham cooking in the oven, and your mouth is just watering because you've only been fasting for one day. And then I remember we would all pack up, and we would go to midnight mass, and then come back, and of course it was past midnight so it was the next day and then we'd enjoy that ham and then we'd open up our presents and uh and stay up all night like your your mass did you always go to mass on christmas day or was it a midnight no it was mid it was midnight Midnight mass Mass, yep and then when we came back this this is on the 25th uh we would have a big breakfast uh, uh, when you came back from midnight mass and uh, be up until then open presents then you know because they somehow magically appeared under the tree uh uh, when we got back from mass, so. it, it's it's wonderful to remember those traditions, and I think that uh, you know in these times uh, where there seems a lot of bit bit of conflict and with social media and everything, uh, you know it's it's kind of hard. And and I've been uh, you know, focusing, saying, oh man, people aren't putting up Christmas lights like they did. They're not buying Christmas trees and everything. But uh, I think it's kind of like uh, the Charlie Brown special, you know, where Linus comes in <laughs> and talks about the the true meaning of Christmas. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, it is about people coming together in love and family um, uh, gathering, both both family, uh, uh, it, the, the family of our blood relatives and, and the family of faith, gathering with the family of faith in church. Well, we talk about the wonderful traditions, and uh, we got to mention that there are a lot of people out there who are listening we're going through some tough times. It could be the health, 
It could be a loss of a loved one, maybe tough financial times. A lot of our listeners listening to this program may be in the hospital alone. What's your advice uh, to those who are going through some tough times right now? Well, I, I think uh, the important uh, aspect of, of Christmas is that our the Son of God came to abide with us. And so while even we, we may be isolated, um, family may not be around, we may, may even be confined to our home or even to a bed by illness or, or advanced age, um, but the, the, the significance of Christmas is the presence of, of Christ with us. Um, that name even that's in the scriptures, Emmanuel, uh, he shall be called Emmanuel, God who is with us. And I think no matter what our, our situation, uh, no matter how difficult or how alone we may feel, uh, it's important uh, for us to recognize that the Lord is present with us. Uh, others may abandon us. Others may not be with us at a given moment, but uh, the Lord will never be absent. And I, I think in, in our hearts to take consolation and to draw some strength and hope from the real presence of Christ who has given himself to us and, and is always uh, abiding uh, with us. And, and to attend to that, it's, it's easy, I, I think, to uh, count all of our woes and, and, and the, the, the challenges that we have, uh, especially if, if one is alone. But, but I, I would invite them to uh, just remember what we are truly celebrating at Christmas and it's all about presence, the presence of uh, Christ in our midst, who truly is God with us, and, and attend to that presence of Christ with you. We'd like to thank uh, Rachel Bryson for helping us prepare for the show, and also our audio engineer and producer, Rachel Trochet. Thank you for your help and assistance on during this program. Bishop Gaynor, the bishop of the diocese, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg, it's always such a pleasure and honor to get the information and inspiration. Thank you again, Bishop, for sharing uh, this time with us today. Always my pleasure, Michael. Merry Christmas to you and to our listeners. And to our listeners, and we hope that you truly and your family will be blessed, uh, not only during this holiday season, but throughout the year. For Bishop Gaynor, I'm Michael Parks. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.